If you would take your Bibles to John chapter 13, as I was studying through this passage uh, that I had outlined out um, probably a year ago, um, as I was going through the Gospel of John and outlining all the sermons, and uh, I outlined verses uh, 18 to 38, 35 here in this passage. And as I was studying a couple weeks ago in pre- preparation for today, uh, I realized there's like five sermons in this uh, section here. So I don't know that I'm going to get through all of uh, the material that we have here in this passage, uh, but we're going to try uh, here. I, I, when I outlined the book, I was already at 72 messages uh, for the Gospel of John. And uh, so I didn't want to add any more, but um, if we have to, we will, because uh, I know you'll be back next Sunday, right? And um, for the next message, either way, John chapter 13 is where we are. If you're visiting with us, thank you for joining us. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've come now to uh, the time where Jesus is uh, earthly, or his uh, public ministry is finished, and he's now in the upper room, and we are delving into what is called the upper room discourse. And we're going to look at this passage today. And really the key verse, uh, before I pray, that I want to read and bring to your attention is really verse 35, the last verse of our section here today. It says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And this is what he's talking about there in verse 35. If you have love one to another. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, the impact that it makes in our lives. And I pray that your spirit would use your word in our hearts and lives today. And Lord, whatever our spiritual need might be today, you'd open our eyes, Lord, and our hearts. And may we act on the hearing of your word, the convicting of your spirit today. Father, challenge us in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the a common statement that we've heard oftentimes, probably most of us have maybe even said it in our life, is don't judge a book by its cover. You know, how many times have we either said that or heard it yet, but our natural reaction is to do that very thing. Our natural reaction is to look at people and make an assumption based on how they look on the outside. When you go through the scriptures in the life of Jesus, you've seen that's exactly what people did in Christ's day. When they look at the disciples and when they look at Jesus himself, they look at this man and his background and they, they, they judge him based on these things. I mean, they even said the question or asked the question, could any good thing come out of Nazareth based on Jesus's heritage. It's easy for us to write off people because of their outward appearance, but that really should not be anything or really should not have anything to do with how we uh, view people or how we treat them or what our attitudes are towards them. You know, we look at people and we judge even whether or not they're, they're believers. In uh, Matthew chapter 7 is probably the most common passage referred to on this, this issue of, of judgment, particularly verse number 1. Uh, many people love to quote this verse when the Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged. And so the people use this when um, they're challenged about their sin and their life and, and they kind of get defensive and they want to rebut the person. And, but the truth is, as you go through this passage, you see something very interesting. There will be people that do all kinds of things. They do all of the, the even the right things. They say the right things, but Jesus does not know them. They have no relationship with God. 
And as you go through this passage, you see in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not Forth good fruit is shown down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And then he goes on to say, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. As we see this passage, the, 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 the great fruit of our relationship with Christ is not the works that we do. There's many religious people in our society today that go to church and they give and they serve and they help at homeless shelters and they go to the soup kitchens and they all these good things. And we know a lot of people that are very courteous and kind and, and they hold the door open and they say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And, and everything about them is very moral and from a human perspective is very right. And so we can look at those people and we say, wow, man, they must be believers in Christ. But Jesus himself said there are going to be people that do all kinds of great and wonderful works, and they're going to use those as their criteria to get into heaven. But he's going to say, I do not know you, therefore depart from me. You have no relationship with me, therefore you have no relationship with my Father. And so they'll be cast into hell. You see, because the only way to, to receive uh, Jesus Christ is through faith, not by works. The only way to have re a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and having our sins forgiven. And so we understand that, listen, people do good things, and we judge them based on those things. And then we see other people that might not necessarily be up to snuff in our perspective in life. Maybe they're down on their luck, and they're struggling, and we kind of we judge them uh, even in those things. But you know, Jesus is making it very clear. It's not about what you do. You see, the, the greatest test as to whether or not you're a true believer in Jesus Christ is your love for one another. You see, if we do, if we do acts of service um, for a return, then it is, it is selfish, and, and we, we don't get the reward that we deserve. We kind of stop doing those things. We become angry. We, we have a lack of care for others. If we do get our reward for, from the, or the glory of men, then God tells us in Matthew chapter 6, just a chapter before we were in chapter 7, if you're doing your alms, if you're doing your good works before men and, and you receive their glory and that's why you're doing it, then you're gonna, that's your reward you're going to receive. But the truth is true disciples are serving God not to receive salvation, but we serve because we are saved. But in the same way, we don't serve others or do good works for selfish gain, but because we love as Christ loves us. You see, if we serve out of love, the return doesn't matter. We, we won't quit serving because of the actions of, of the other people. And the truth is, works are not the true test of an authentic believer. But as Jesus tells us in this passage, 
It is love. When we love despite the actions of others, despite our circumstances, despite what we have or what we don't have, then we will show our true faith. And so Jesus says here in this passage to his disciples as he's sitting there that your love will be the evidence that you're a true disciple. And so the question that we have before us today is, do they know? As you, as you read through the, the Gospels and as you go through the New Testament, you see the love that, that these disciples had for Jesus Christ. You see the love that the Apostle Paul had uh, for Jesus Christ. And everywhere they went, people even began to call them Christians. Not because of the things that they did or because of the place that they come from or because of their heritage. But people began to call them Christians because they knew. They knew that they were followers of Christ. And I believe they knew first and foremost because of the love that they had one for another. And so the question before us is do people know? Do people know that we are a believer in Jesus Christ? N not because you told them. Not because you told them. Hey, listen, I tell people all the time how great I am, all right, how amazing I am. You know, I, I love to brag about my, my basketball ability and skills back from when I was in high school because I don't have to prove it anymore because I'm old and I'm broken down. And I don't have to prove it anymore. Like, you know, so I love to talk about those, those type of things. There doesn't need to be any proof. I'm not, I'm not talking about, do, you, do people know that you're a Christian because you tell them, because they know that you go to Grace Baptist Church, or they know that you're, you do good things and you serve in the community. I'm talking, do they know because of the love that you have? They know that your love will be exhibited when you're having a bad day. Your love will be exhibited when you don't get love shown back to you. You see, the world says, listen, they don't deserve my love. And what Jesus says is, you don't deserve my love, but yet I still love you. And that's the way I want you to love others. The world says, listen, don't show them love unless you're going to get something for it. Don't show them love unless they show love and kindness back to you. But a true disciple in Jesus Christ says, I'm going to love despite what you do to me. Despite how you treat me. Despite what you say about me. Despite how you act and live here in this world, I'm going to love as Jesus loved. And that's what Christ has called us to as true believers in Jesus Christ. And so in verses 18 through 30, we're going to start with the false disciple. We, here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he had just washed their feet and he says to them, he says, listen, the, the servant is not greater than the master. And so if I'm willing to wash your feet, then you should be willing to wash each other's feet or the picture here show this kind of service, this kind of love. So we come to verse number 18. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And so Jesus is now moving into this time where he's going to relate to them the fact that he's going to be betrayed and that he's going to go to the cross and how when he leaves, they must live this life of love. And so starting in verse 18, he gives this picture of a servant. I just showed you this. He goes, and, and I've told you that I'm your master, but I am not the master of all of you. So I am the master and you are the, the servants. But Jesus knows his heart, their hearts. And he says, he knew that Judas 
would betray him. You see, Jesus understood that not everybody in that room was a follower, a true follower of his. There's somebody that's in the room that has, that has been with him for three years. They've been with him. They've seen every miracle. They've seen all of his life circumstances and situations. They've heard all of his teaching and messages, and yet they have not truly followed Jesus Christ. And so he says to them, I have given you this example, and I'm telling you, I am your master, and therefore, if I'm willing to serve, so you as my servant should be willing to serve. But not all of you are my followers. Not all of you are my servants. You see, Judas was able to play the game, and, and even in the eyes of the other disciples, they all believed that he was a follower of Jesus, and that he loved Jesus, and that he was, you know, he was part of the family. He was in the group. But Jesus knew their heart. And really, this could be our first sermon here today. And I don't want you to miss this. I want you to truly understand this. Listen, you can play the Christian game. And you can have all the right lingo. I remember, you know, my uh, biological mom, and uh, I remember early on as, as a Christian, I would, I would try to share the gospel with her, and she knew what I wanted to hear. I mean, she knew what I wanted to hear, and so she would tell me just enough to get me to be quiet and, and to, to leave her alone. And, and so she knew all the right lingo and the words to say and all those type of things, and, and I praise the Lord. You know, she went to prison for three years, got out. And then went back to prison for another year. And during that time, she, she professes to, to be saved. And, and I believe, but even before that, she always knew the right things to, to say. And so many people, where, where they go to church and, and they know the Christian verbiage and they know the lingo and, and they're playing this religious game. And you're fooling everybody sitting around you. You might even be deceiving your spouse. When I was in college, I interned at a church in Pensacola and um, I was there one night and we were having a revival service and um, the evangelist was preaching and, and he got to the invitation time and uh, this lady who was in, in the middle of her, in her mid-40s got up from the back here and, and she walked down. Of course, everybody had their heads bowed and eyes closed so nobody saw that. And, and, but you could just hear the, like, the rumblings like in the auditorium, like people whose heads are supposed to be bowed and eyes closed, not knowing what's going on, are like, I mean, you just hear the rumblings and like, what's going on? And, and this lady came down and, and she was gloriously saved. And everybody was in shock and amazed and in awe because this was the pastor's daughter. She grew up in this church. She had been in this church for her whole life. Her, pastor, her dad had been the pastor for, there for almost 50 years. <laughs> And she sang in the choir, and she taught Sunday school classes, and she went through all the motions of Christianity. But she never truly accepted Jesus Christ as her own Savior. You see, Jesus knew their hearts, and you can play the game, but one day you might stand before him, and you can say, I did all these things, and he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And notice he called all their works iniquity. Now, we would say they're righteous, they're moral works. But you see, all of our righteousness is filthy rags in the sight of God. It's all iniquity apart from Jesus Christ. My friend, Jesus Christ died for you. He loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sin. He was the substitutionary payment. He died in your place, and he took on him the wrath of God for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the whole world. 
And as you read through the scriptures, the Bible is very clear. It's not by being a good person, doing good works, or doing all of this religious activity that's going to get you a relationship with God or make you right with God or get you what we call saved. But it's by the grace of God. How? Through faith. You have to believe that you are a sinner. You have to believe and understand that Jesus died for your sin in your place and only he can take the wrath of God for you. And if you'll put your faith, you'll turn from your life and from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith in him. The Bible tells us he will save you. He will forgive you of your sin. He will give you eternal life. Listen, no church is gonna give you eternal life. No pastor is going to exonerate you from your sin and give you eternal life. No good deed is going to help you in the eyes of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, puts their faith in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, listen, don't play the game. It's not about being religious and religious activity. It's about knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him that is going to give you eternal life, that is going to give you forgiveness of sin. Why? I don't understand why. Why we we try to invent different ways to God when God clearly lines it up and says, listen, there is no other way. There is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. And Judas missed it. Listen, he missed it. He was right there and walked with him and lived with him and saw his teaching and and heard everything he had to say and saw his life and he missed it. Don't miss it. Don't miss your eternal salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus says to them, listen, I know you guys. Not all of you are my servants. But if you are my servant, then listen, you need to be willing to do the things that I do. You see, we don't serve in order to get right with God. We serve out of heart of gratitude and love for God because of what he did for us on the cross. Hey, listen, I should serve God. I should give to God. I should sacrifice for him. I should love others. Why? Because he did that for me and gave me so much, starting with eternal life starting with the family of God and all the eternal blessings that come with knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. The truth is, is God knows knows each of our hearts. And when we stand before him, there's no list that we're going to read of things that we did. The question is going to be, did you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior through faith or not? And if you did, then you're part of the family of God. You have eternal life. You have a relationship with him. But if you didn't, then you, he, you will be cast out. And he'll say, I never knew you. Jesus, my friend, knows your heart. He knows where you are and you're standing with God. You're either part of his family or you're the enemy of God. And you're, you're part of his family through Jesus Christ. And if you reject the gospel and you reject Jesus Christ and you try to do it in your own power, your own strength, then you're lost and you're the enemy of God. I can't emphasize it more. Listen, you can fool me and fool the church and fool your family and fool your friends and and fool the world, but you're never going to fool God. He knows your heart. He knows where you are in your walk or lack thereof with him. And so he tells these disciples, I speak not of you all. I know 
whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And so then we go on. He gives us this prophecy that is coming to be fulfilled. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. And so God gave us the Old Testament so that we can know what the Messiah, uh, who the Messiah was going to be. And there's all these prophecies that were given about the Messiah. And Jesus said, listen, these are going to come to fruition. You're going to see them and you're going to know that I am, I am God. I am the one that was prophesied about. And so here in this chapter, he's quoting uh, Psalm 41 in verse number 9. In that passage, Ahithophel was a trusted counselor of, and a friend of, of David outwardly. But inwardly, Ahithophel was very bitter toward David. And ultimately, when David's son rises up against David, he, Ahithophel partners with uh, his son and betrays David. And you see that bitterness stems from the story of David and Bathsheba. You see, Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And so David had sinned against this woman and, and taking her and then killing her husband. And, and Ahithophel became very bitter about this. And so in Psalm 41, verse 9, we see this story as a type or a picture of what was going to come for the Christ, for the Messiah, of that friend that was going to betray him. And so Jesus, who knows their hearts, says this is going to come to fruition. And again, he reiterates in verse 19 and 20 that I, that Jesus is the great I am. He is telling them this so that they will know when, when they look back in the weeks and uh, the weeks to come that he truly was God. Look with me there, verse number 19 again. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And so Jesus is telling them this. Listen, I want you to understand that I am God. And so he uses that word I am there. In the, in the King James, in, in many versions, it says I am he. But that's the same word that is used when Jesus says I am. And when God in the Old Testament tells Moses when he asks, who should I say sent me? Tell him I am. This is what Jesus is telling them. I want you to understand I am. I am he. And so he wants them to understand this because he's going to send them. He's going to send them. And he tells them that, listen, he, those that receive the people I send, those that receive you, they receive your message, they receive me, therefore they receive God. And, and, and here's the situation. The world is looking for God. The world is looking for God. We understand the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is innate within us to believe that there is a God. You can look at every culture throughout history and every pagan group and they've created these gods and they're looking for a God. And we are to preach the gospel of the true God. And if they receive Christ, they have a relationship with God. This was the issue in the life of Jesus. He never received the Lord. He never received the Lord. Listen, he followed him. He watched his miracles. He did some of the works, even in his name. When the disciples went out and had the power to do these works, Judas was out able to go and, and to do these same works. But again, it's possible to do good works and be a part of a church and sing the songs 
and even be called a Christian by others and not be saved. And Jesus was trying to get them to understand the need to go and preach the gospel. But listen, because when we go, Jesus has sent them in the same way he sent us. And when we go and we preach the gospel and they receive that message, they receive Christ as their savior. Therefore, they receive a relationship with God. And so many people in this world, so many people are searching and looking, looking for God. And the church has the message on how they can have a relationship with God. And the only way to have a relationship with God we also see in this passage the outward testimony of this false disciple, this, the outward testimony of Jesus. Jesus makes the claim here to these men that some of them are going to betray him. Look with me now. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of what he spake. You know, it's interesting, when Jesus makes this statement, no one questions Judas. In the other Gospels that have the same account, not only do they doubt, but they start looking at each other and saying, is it I? Is it I? Even Judas in the Gospel of Matthew says, surely it is not I. You know, we don't know the true hearts of people. We don't know the true hearts of people. This guy had everything going for him outwardly. And you see in this passage and others, not only was he a follower of Jesus, this was the guy that controlled the money. I mean, this was the guy that all the disciples trusted with the, their finances and all of their resources. And we'll see that probably next week as we continue on in this passage. But we see then the prophecy as we finish up here for today, the prophecy fulfilled. There was leaning on Jesus, verse 23, on his bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we find later that John refers to himself in that way, whom Jesus loved. That's probably a powerful statement, isn't it? I'm the one that Jesus loved when he's talking about himself. But the one whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. And so we see the prophecy. Why the other disciples don't know or what he is saying. It's interesting here. You know, we have a picture of the Lord's Supper, that, uh, the famous picture of it. It's interesting to try to figure out how this picture really looked because you got John who's laying on Jesus and Peter calls to John and says, ask him who it is. And then when Jesus gives the answer, as we go through this passage, it doesn't seem as if anybody hears what he has to say. So either they're just ignoring what he had to say or they can't hear what's going on. We really don't know what the picture is, but we do understand they have no idea really what's going on. And so Peter tells John to ask, and, and so Jesus, some believe, didn't make an outwardly statement, but maybe he just told John uh, in a quiet tone. We have no idea how this all unfolded, but Jesus then tells Judas to go because it is his time. 
And I want you to notice something here. Throughout this passage still, Judas has opportunity to turn from his sin. Jesus reiterates how he is the master. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. And all throughout that time, Judas, Judas could have turned from his sin and received Jesus Christ as his savior. But yet he continued to deny him and reject him. And we see obvious last moment that he had the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. But Judas is set on betraying Christ and his time of repentance is passed and his heart is hardened. And yet the disciples still did not question Judas as all of this, all of this is going on. My friend, every person that we come into contact with needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to understand. It's easy to judge a book by its cover. Man, they're good people. They, they don't need me to preach the gospel. They must be good people. Listen, there are a lot of good people that have died and went to hell. And there are a lot of good people that will die and go to hell unless they receive Jesus Christ as their savior. And what a sad reality of Judas's life who these three years had the opportunity to be right there with the Messiah and ultimately rejected him. Over and over, he had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Hey, listen, I don't know if you'll have another opportunity to hear the gospel. I do know today is the day of salvation. If you've never accepted Christ as your savior, today should be that day in your life. Don't reject the truth of God's word. It's not about who you are, what you did, or how great you are from a human perspective. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. But God loved you enough that he paid the payment through Jesus Christ. You see, the wages of sin is death. There had to be a sacrifice. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you, Judas had every opportunity to receive Christ, and he rejected it, and he went away. And when you go through the Gospels, you see the tragedy of his, the last moments of his life. And the greatest tragedy is that he entered eternity, as far as we know, without Christ as a savior. Suffering for his sin in a literal place called hell. Listen, Jesus died for you. Don't reject the gospel. Listen, Jesus died for your neighbors. And if you believe that he is God and that you have, and you have eternal life, then he has sent you, he sent me to go and preach the gospel. And the only way they're gonna have a relationship with God is if those of us that are sent preach the gospel and they receive that message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so go and preach the gospel.